Breaking Bias Motorsport Tech Podcast. I am your co-host, Molly, and I am joined by my fantastic co-host, Dr. Obbs, for our third episode. Time kind of flies when we're having fun. How are you, Dr. Obbs? I'm doing great, Molly. I'm enjoying this. This is so much fun. The first two episodes were great. Episode three is going to be even better. I'm excited. Cannot wait. This is going to be such a fun episode. I think we have jam-packed quite a lot of tech talk into this episode too. So this should be a great one for our listeners. Lots of good stuff to talk about. You know, we're kind of in that in-between space at the moment, in between uh, the Italian GP heading into the Singapore GP. So whenever this releases, it'll be just before the race in Singapore. But before we get into that, should we talk a little, little bit about the Italian GP? I think lots of cool stuff happened. Yeah, there was a lot of cool stuff that happened. And I think there was a lot to talk about from that race too, kind of the post Zandvoort pivoting into almost a complete opposite of a track with Monza. I think there's there's a lot to talk about. I think the one that had everybody talking, though, was the Ferrari pole. Yeah, big pole. I mean, that was like something from the storybooks, you know? I mean, catching pole in Monza in front of the Tifosi mm-hmm. and just like the party afterwards was epic. That was so great. Was so I mean, it didn't translate to Sunday, unfortunately, which would have been even bigger, but that was a banging Saturday party. Oh my God. Yeah, that was crazy. I almost wish I had had like my camera running for like the swing of emotions that happened. It was crazy. I didn't see that coming at all. I had like the multi-viewer telemetry up and was like, no way, no way. And then it went P1. Shout out to multi-viewer. Yeah, shout out to multi-viewer. Multi-viewers, we, we got the flat bill yes. today, you know, from multi-viewer. We're big fans of multi-viewer. Yes. So like Molly was talking about, you know, watching the races or qualifying on multi-viewer is epic. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing it, you need to do it. Yes. It's, it's the best. To. And we use it a lot as well for after the races you know you can go back and watch the replays you can watch the driver on boards and i'll tell you what a super close quality as well so i mean yes how many tents did we have to the top three i think it was it was quite close between top three wasn't it 0.0067 or something like that like it was tiny margins 0.067 yeah yeah, it was under a tenth yeah it was pretty pretty amazing which is really cool i mean you would expect something like that in a track where you don't really have the offset and wings or Mm -hmm. anything like that everybody's running the low downforce spec, you know, presumably. But what do you think contributed to the Ferrari pole? Maybe that also didn't translate to the Sunday. What are your thoughts on that? I think what contributed to the pole largely was the low downforce setup. And then I also have some points about their power unit because they brought this one-off special Monza setup and new power units to both cars for the race this weekend. And I talked about this. This is the race Ferrari doesn't care what they have to do. They want the best possible outcome, ideally to win it for them. And so they were going to do something pretty aggressive. And so what I think contributed it to it was the low downforce package they brought largely. I think what we're starting to learn about this car specifically is when you get into high downforce setups, the car doesn't like it. And we were kind of talking, you said it's still very peaky. And that's what's happening is where you introduce the high downforce and it winds up being a mess. It's very unpredictable. It wants to go one way and then the next. It's not easy to kind of get a setup dialed in on it. And I think that is what we saw in Zanvoort. And I actually want to like try and have some time to go through and run maybe through like some Fast F1 or some of the data and see if I can like correlate actual numbers from like Monza. Um, I might wait till Singapore actually and do like Zanvoort, Singapore, Monza, Spa, some of the different setups we've gotten and compare that to see what the difference is. But it's likes a low downforce setup yeah. and it, it tends to dial in a lot better on the low downforce setup. And I think we saw that even at Spa where it could barely hang on. You know, they were really struggling there too, weather conditions aside. Zanvoort, it was a mess. And so I think the low downforce setup where they trimmed out really, really helped them. And I think we're also learning that this car has a weak front end. We hear it from the drivers. They do tend to say that the front end is weak and it's a difference with this car this year, whereas last year's had a much stronger front end. And so when you go high downforce, it's going to shift COP back backwards, correct? Yes. Shifts your aero balance reward. And so you already have a weak front end and you're going to slap your high downforce on it. Yeah. 
it's going to put that COP kind of further to the back and make your front end even weaker. So I think that that is kind of tied to the handling issues with it. And so that's why we didn't have, I think, as big of a problem with Ferrari and Monza. As for their power unit, they slapped brand new power unit on both cars. I think that because there's not a ton of degradation over time with these power units, I think they said, okay, brand new power unit, we're going to map it very aggressively this weekend. That was probably on kind of the edge of some things where they may take speed over reliability with this specific unit and just know that the mileage is going to be lower on it, that they're going to abuse it a little bit more in Monza, be a lot more aggressive in it and use it here. And then it might just run lower mileage than the rest of the ones in their pools. Yeah. I was kind of like going down a rabbit hole, like, <laughs> well, maybe they did something with energy management or they changed some um, some routing because even though your power unit is frozen, including your electronics, MGUH, MGUK, ERS, all of that good stuff, Gearbox, there are some things in packaging and some things kind of in and around that you could change. And you checked this for me that they didn't bring any upgrades in and around that era. So it's like, maybe they changed some routing and were able to get a tighter shape somewhere, improve aero in the floor, find some space because they've adjusted packaging, but that didn't get us anywhere. And then I was also like, oh, maybe they did something with like ERS and energy management, energy deployment. You only get one software set a year. So I think it's a combination of the car liking a very low downforce setup and just that they likely just really aggressively mapped their power unit for this race. And then in terms of translating to Sunday, they don't have a car really that's as aero efficient as Red Bull. And I think at the end of the day, they they definitely put up a good fight. And I think they put up a better fight than I expected. But when you look at the the kind of drag to downforce ratio, the car is still still kind of struggling and, and not able to yeah. keep up with Red Bull. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, you, you said it all there. Absolutely. I agree with the points you brought up there, Molly. I think it was quite interesting to see, you know, Carlos Sainz, for instance, drive it to the limit um, as opposed to maybe Leclerc where in the past you would have expected Leclerc to be the one that kind of could, you know, drive the car on the ragged edge and, and signs might might struggle a little bit. But yeah. signs seem to to be, uh, you know, on point during the race. You know, I always kind of felt like, okay, you know, degradation, is it still going to be an issue for them? We saw from Spa that they seem to have a handle on the degradation. But then the question was, what sort of, you know, uh, what, what did they give up when they went so low downforce to be so fast on the speed traps? Mm-hmm. And it seems like it did suffer a little bit with rear tire deg. Yeah. We saw that during the race, you know, I mean, I think it was Max that was commenting as he was riding behind Carlos, mm-hmm. you know, look, his, you know, he's starting to struggle with the rears and naturally, you know, there was the lockup going into the Nouvelle Chicane there yeah. and then, you know, Max kind of took advantage of that and went past him. But yeah, it's it's something I think that is, you know, you mentioned the weak front end mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but my feeling is that this is more chassis related than anything than it is contributed by Arrow. I think there could be something to it with the side pods and, and all that. I really don't think so. I think it's mostly chassis related, honestly. This is a hot take. <laughs> I think Carlos can handle this car a little bit better because he's used to McLaren cars and the Renault previous that was weak in the front end that Daniel Ricciardo helped them develop out to help suit his needs. And then he moved to the McLaren, which is notorious for a weak front end car. So he's really able to kind of manage a weaker front end car better than Charles can. And I'm saying this in factual, I'm not, like I said, this isn't like Charles versus Carlos. Charles has said time and time and time again, and this is something even back in Sauber, he likes a strong front end car. He tends to really like a car that's got a further forward COP with his driving style. It's what suits him. And he has a harder time with a weaker front end car. And he even said it in post Monza interviews that this car is weak in the front end. I like a strong front end car and we're like working to develop for 2024 and make changes. That's kind of what I think some of the difference was. And I think that's where I saw Carlos not as hesitant, I think, to send things this weekend. I think Charles still went for it and still tried, but I think that's where maybe the difference comes in. Mm -hmm. As for if I think it's chassis, I, this is where I think it might be more aero driven unless they change something significantly in homologation, which we don't have homologation dossiers. Yeah. We don't know what they changed 22 to 23, but the 2022 car didn't have this inheritance in the front end weakness. And we know that they did a big pivot with their aero strategy yeah a lot of stuff is still there but they did this pivot and i actually think that maybe it is slightly more aero driven without being able to see the homologation dossier but that's what my gut says no i mean it could be you know the and the thing is that you or i you know we don't know what's what's 
what's what really mm-hmm. it's the it's the engineers of ferrari that you know will have a better idea yeah. but you know so any opinions that we have i think are warranted based off of our technical justification so i think it's it's all good from that standpoint when you talk about a car being you know on the nose a bit i mean we had some comments as well right which came from oh gosh who was it that was made was it pierre wash i think yes red bull that was saying you know that basically they're able to give max a car that's on the nose and that you can actually make a car that's on the nose faster yep. than a car that's that's on the rear mm-hmm. and I was having kind of some mental um, gymnastics that was going on, you know. You were noodling. (laughs) Yeah, I was noodling as to exactly what the physics behind it is. I mean, but I mean, dynamically speaking, right, what's generating all your turning moments and everything Mm -hmm. is a slip angle from the front tire, right? So the rear tires are effectively just kind of along for the ride in essence. And so if you can put a car more on the nose, which means that you've got a bit more forward arrow balance. So Mm -hmm. maybe for our listeners that don't know, just as much as there's a center of gravity of a car, which is where all of the weight is acting, you have a center of pressure, Mm -hmm. which means that it's where basically your aerodynamic center is. And so your aerodynamic center can be shifted forwards or backwards dependent on how much rear wing you add right so if you add more rear wing it will naturally have a tendency to shift your aerodynamic center more rearward so mm-hmm. which means you have more rear downforce or rear bias they say um, you put more front wing on they can you know bias it a bit more forward mm-hmm. now the front wing and the rear wing are only going to make a small amount of adjustments i would say in the center of pressure or the location of of the bias or, or how much bias you have it's really the floor design that naturally is kind of designed in a certain way that will really sort of dictate where your center of pressure is Mm -hmm. now the inlets to the tunnels are you've got basically two suction areas in the floor that are the strongest it's on the inlet and then at the diffuser at the kick line and so this year remember they raised the diffuser throat so naturally they were trying to reduce that sort of diffuser kind of like kick line suction peak that happens right there but then teams have been putting a lot of emphasis on the forward floors Mm -hmm. as well this year and i feel like it's in an effort to try to get a bit more forward bias so maybe bites a bit more on the front especially at red bull because that's what max likes but that's also obviously what a faster car is so Mm -hmm. to to make a long story long basically (laughs) what i'm trying to say is that if you have a lot more downforce or more downforce on the front so it's biased forward a bit more you can get more downforce on the front tires Mm -hmm. which means you're going to get more grip at higher speeds you're going to get more turning moment Mm -hmm. as a result of that slip angle you can generate before you get slow Sliding, and now all the driver has to do is be able to manage a nervous rear end. Yes. Right. And so some drivers can manage that, some drivers can't. And that's really the difference. Yeah. And for anybody who doesn't know, like when we say a nervous rear end, that basically means it just wants to, it wants to step out. Step out, yeah. It's loose in American <laughs> racing yeah. terms. Like I use loose and tight. I think that's easier to describe than oversteer and understeer. It's a very loose yeah. race car. It's very free would be another word you would hear where it, it does want to turn very easily. Opposite would be tight or understeer. Mm where it is resistive to turning or not wanting to turn in a a tight rear is not beneficial for a lot of guys. They actually don't like that. A lot of guys would rather have the the nervous and the, the rear that will step out. Yeah, no, good point. And, you know, it, essentially the rear wants to come become the front. It does. <laughs> the front kind of wants, wants <laughs> That's to become it, yeah, the rear. Yeah, it does. It sort of wants to <laughs> flip around. And, and that is definitely, I would say, something you can control with arrow. So, yeah. you know, degradation, I think, in, in Monza for, for our was... The diff is well absolutely yep diff settings and things like that diff maps torque maps all of that yeah that's that's a lot easier to manage for somebody where it's like okay i know that i just need to put it on like diff position two or diff position eight or it's diff 13 here that's a lot easier to manage for some of these guys and actually easier to modulate than having something inherent in the car that doesn't there's nothing i can kind of settings it out you know that's that's easily modifiable with meter maps and settings great point this see this is why we balance each other out so well Molly, (laughs) because like my arrow brain goes to the like aerodynamic reason why mm-hmm. and your powertrain's brain goes exactly to how you can okay, manage right. the powertrain so <laughs> yeah. yeah make a good team for sure but that's that's a very good point because you can manage those settings during a race exactly right yes. so as your tires start to fall off then naturally race engineers for the drivers are going to be telling you know try different diff settings or whatever yeah. if they're struggling a bit with so oversteer mm-hmm. out of certain corners and things like that they can change them out. yeah even as your fuel load decreases tire wear yeah. fuel load will change the kind of mm-hmm. center of pressure and gravity in the car as you 
you right. kind of lose the weight in the, right. um, the fuel tank That's as well. That's exactly right. Nothing, nothing is ever static on these cars. Yeah. I mean, the fuel is burning off. The tires are starting to fall off. The amount of grip that you have on the four corners is changing. Your energy store. Yes. Nothing is ever static. Like this is an incredibly complicated series. Yes. And I mean, we try and obviously explain it as much as we can. But but mm -hmm. when I see people like making very simplistic reasons why certain things are happening, I say in my head, it's not as simple as that. You know, <laughs> it's like, I mean, sometimes it is, though, too. <laughs> like it, it is as just well, as yeah. simple as that. And a lot of people on the flip side like to try and over yeah. overthink it and overcomplicate it. And I always say like engineers, we, we don't know how to make things easy. We yeah. always just make things so contrived and more complicated than they have to be sometimes. And sometimes it really is that simple, but a lot of the times it is not. That's right. And speaking of overcomplicated things, uh, something that came out of the race, which we should definitely talk about, is now more comments about the difficulty to follow cars, yes. right? So I think it was Max specifically was saying, like, it's getting more difficult. We've mm -hmm. heard Carlos talking about this, you know, as yeah, well. Yeah, a lot of guys. Yeah, exactly. So now the FIA has come out and it was the single-seater director, Nicholas Tombazas, mm -hmm. which I think I'm saying that right, who said basically in 2021, based off of their numbers, yeah. that when you were two car lengths away from the leading yes. car, which means you're the trailing car and the car yes. in front of you is two car lengths in front of you that you're losing in 2021 mm -hmm. before the new ground effect regulations, you're losing 50% of your downforce. Okay. And so this is primarily, if you ask me, I mean, I don't have the numbers to back this up, but it's probably primarily affecting your forward um, balance, right? Because it's your front wing that's going to be affected first by the wake that it sees, right? So that was the first thing they said. Then in 2022, the first year of ground effect, they said based off of the numbers they have, it was now changed. It was a 25% loss yeah. two car lengths away. So much better than it was with the previous yes. generations of the cars, right? That's the whole intent of this ground effect era now is to make it easier to follow. Now in 2023, based off of the data they have, it's 35%. Mm -hmm. So we're creeping back again. So it's, we're not quite at those 2021 levels, but we're getting closer, right? So yeah, we're getting there. Exactly. So more teams are finding downforce, right? We mm -hmm. talked about the fact they raised the diffuser throat this year to try to reduce the amount of downforce. They also um, raised the floor edge a bit. It's not like a linear translation. It's more of on an angle. But either way, the floor edge is not able to generate as much load as it was previously. So mm -hmm. overall, the aim was to try to reduce the amount of downforce. And it seems like teams have found it back, but they found it yes. back in ways that maybe they're generating a bit more outwash than what the FIA had originally intended. So there was four key areas that they mentioned. Rear wings was the first one they said. So what comes to mind when you think about rear wings? Like what has changed from 2022 to 2023 when you think about rear wings? Anything jump out? End plates. Exactly. What are people doing with the end plates now? They're cutting them, right? They're cutting them way back. Yeah. And so you don't really have an end plate like you did in 2021. You had these big stiff end plates mm -hmm. and you had these counter rotating vortex pairs, which would come off the back. But there were much smaller vortices. Now they have the bigger vortices because they don't have these stand up end plates. And so what happens is this is what's up washing the wake. OK, it's throwing the wake higher. Mm -hmm. So as you cut that end plate, you're reducing the amount of circulation, which means you get less rotation in that vortex, mm -hmm. which means potentially this is just my thought. You might not have as much upwash of the wake, yeah. which means it could be hanging a little bit lower. So that could contribute to it. So the next thing they said was front wings. What jumps out? Anything jump out about front wings? Uh, they're trimming the main plane and the upper plane to kick outwash. Yeah. And you and you got those Ferrari little, oh, it was Mercedes that first yeah. did the slot gap separators, but Ferrari's running it now. They're Ferraris now. And then, yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're Ferraris now. And then you got that cut front wing end plate as well, right? Which mm -hmm. is the outwashing end plate. Yeah. If you can outwash the front wing a bit 
then you can potentially wrap the front tire and reduce the front tire weight some, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons they might be doing that potentially. And then the other one was outwashing floor edges, which I haven't seen as much. I have to be honest. I haven't seen as much with the floor edges that I think that is a problem. Yeah. But the rear brake duct winglets is really interesting one. Yeah. Because remember, we've seen a lot of work in that area. So those four key areas. What are your thoughts on this, Molly? Um, What is the FI going to do? I mean, wh- where we go from here? See, I talked about this last week. Yeah. NASCAR is the same problem. Exact same problem with their ground effect car where we're seeing, again, downforce loss creeping up on trailing cars and they're working on figuring out the right way to do it. They are looking at new mandatory pieces in the ground effect. Hmm. I think that this is going to turn into something will roll down from the FIA. I think that them saying we know that this is what's going on, it's creeping back up. I think personally, there's either likely going to be another like TD or something will go into regulations that, hey, your floor is going to have to do this or you can't have this or your end plates are maybe going to have to do this. <laughs> but I think they still want to let the teams be able to do stuff and do what they're they're doing. But I think that they might come in as a governing body, much like NASCAR is doing and say, it's, it's got to be this now or no more of this or you've got to do this in your floor or you have to have this Mm -hmm. edge here or or something like that. I think it's going to turn into that because they they obviously understand that there is a downforce loss and they understand what's contributing to the downforce loss. So rather than just be like, hey, yeah, this is the problem, shrug, look at it and walk away. (laughs) I think that they're probably going to step in with something and or something for the coming seasons because it seems like this problem is going to wind up right back where they were in 2021, which I don't think they anticipated. So yeah. I think that there will be something coming. Yeah. And so they're targeting based off of what they said, 2025. So it looks like they're not going to be making any changes now because so many teams, I think, are already into their 2024 car for some time now. So that's probably a good move. Yeah. The development cycle is quite yeah. far along. So I agree. If it's, I don't think that there's much that they could yeah. do 2024 wise. One point to specifically make is that anytime that you move an object through air, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it will create a wake yeah. and that's just because there's an energy transfer which happens whenever mm-hmm. you have drag and downforce right yep. and that energy transfer results in basically an energy deficit which is in fact the wake yes. that that object leaves as it moves through air and so it's impossible to get rid of the weight yes because you are always going to be moving an object through yes. air and teams will always be looking for downforce yes. they don't want drag But they will be looking for downforce. Yes. And so if you're a spec series, yeah, you can you can implement spec arrow parts, which whatever you want makes it the same for everybody. But in a constructor series like this, people are always going to be looking for more downforce, Mm -hmm. which means they're going to be finding that the wake is going to be growing over time. Yes. I think this is just like kind of a natural progression in our sport. Yeah, this is one of those. You don't know what you don't know with the regulations and as teams are constructing, it's something that you're learning and that maybe wasn't anticipated with this regulation said so that it's obviously they're you're going to implement something corrective what that looks mm. like i don't know it seems like they know yeah. seems like they are going to figure out something and we've talked about this extensively that's right where it's how you manage the wake and get the weight up out of the way for the trailing cars and so i think yep. that it'll come down to something that they'll probably roll in for wake management or end plate shape or or something to kind of manage that the best they can especially Absolutely. with that high volume of air that you're excavating from the floors. So. Yeah. So let's see what happens to the 2025 regulations. I think really thinking about this probably as well, looking forward to 2026, yeah. because the other way that you can make following easier is to reduce the frontal area of the object that's moving through the air, which comes right back to smaller cars, which we've all been asking for for a long time. Yeah. And so they're saying in 2026, they want to reduce the size and the weight of the cars again. I think I saw they were targeting like a 50 kilogram drop in weight but honestly that's not enough like we we need to do better than that especially with a bigger ers and the bigger electrical system that's coming with the higher kilowatt output yes the mgh is gone yeah. but you know need bigger energy store yeah and all of that stuff too so hey i don't know where they're gonna get gains out of but we're gonna try we're both mechanical engineers and the one thing that mechanicals love is structures and properties and materials yes. and if we can start to advance the strength of carbon fiber you know materials and things like that we can 
can start to generate even lighter parts, right? Yes. That have higher strength. Yes. We've made huge advancements in this area. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at just how safe yeah. cars are nowadays compared to the way that, you know, mm-hmm. they were 20 years ago, right? Yeah. For instance, a lot of this is attributable to changes in the materials that engineers are able to use. So hopefully some advances in that area could help. Mm-hmm. I call it Adman. Adman. Yeah. Additive manufacturing. Ah, yes. Where like what you can add into your materials, 3D printing, all of your kind of advanced processes that you can do along with what's going into that process. So you can kind of do additives and like, hey, I'm going to 3D print this part. And then it's going to be great because we have a filament that if we do this to it, it's going to work even better mm-hmm. than like a metal component. It's going to be even lighter. So there's a lot of stuff going on, I think, there as well. A lot of teams are trying. Teams are looking for every ounce, every gram, every way to improve strength, reduce weight yep. without incurring a penalty. So. Let's hope we get there sooner rather than later. You kind of rattled something loose in my brain with this downforce loss on the floors and how teams are finding more downforce in the result of more turbulent week. And it made me think of a conversation that we were having on Twitter with Brian Murphy, who is former Stuart Haas racing over in NASCAR, where he was talking about their ground effect and how it is specced by NASCAR what it has to be. And it just kind of rattled around in my brain is we know that the FIA fully specs the Venturi tunnels, what the inlets have, what some of the inlet geometry is and what the tunnel inlet has to be. NASCAR also does that. And Brian did mention that there are known performance flaws in this floor that teams have to try and navigate and work around. And my brain just went, do we think and do you think that the, the FIA says it, what must be true about the floor has specific hindrances or kind of negative performance features to it that the teams have to kind of try and work around in their floor development and in finding what that is and how to counteract that to get gains with their downforce, do we think it's contributed to the wake problem? That's a really good question. I mean, shout out to Brian Murphy, by the way. He's a great, he's a great yes, follow. Yes, shout out to Brian. If you want to stop by, Brian, let us know That's anytime. Sure. Yeah, we'd love to have him on for sure. So yeah, I would say most definitely. I mean, I think in Formula One, the regulation volume sets that they've established, they've done in such a way because they want to great example being the changes they've made in 2023 where they changed the diffuser throat geometry they raised yeah. the floor edge everything they're doing yeah. they're trying to take away downforce in an area where yeah. you generate clean downforce okay so yes. that means that when they do that when they're changing those regulation volumes or hindering what you can do in that area where you can generate downforce in a way that's not very dirty you mm-hmm. now need to try to get downforce in other places where it might yeah. be a bit dirtier, right? So I think mm-hmm. that could be contributing to it. That's a really good question. I would not thought about that before, <laughs> but I think there's something to that. That conversation, as it was happening, I was like, I wonder if the F1 floor is it's the same thing. It, it would make sense that there are these known hindrances that that design carries. I, I've never really totally been able to get my head around what the intent of the FIAs with some of these changes they make in Formula One, right? I mean, you look at... What was it in 2015, 2016, when they went to the tread tires and they moved away from the slicks? Somebody on Twitter will yes. tell us what the right timing is. Essentially, you know, it was an effort to try to reduce the amount of grit to maybe make, you know, racing better or whatever, mm-hmm. because these cars weren't on the edge or like they could have been and, and mm-hmm. a bit more wild horses you need to handle. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that in doing some of that in with the air, with these aero regulations in the areas, like you said, where you can generate nice clean downforce, mm-hmm. maybe they're sort of inadvertently causing teams to have to chase dirty downforce. That could be yeah. making the wake problem worse. Yeah. Yeah. Good shout. Thanks. Molly. I was That's like, wait, one. wait, wait. <laughs> These series aren't as different <laughs> as everybody thinks that they are. <laughs> no. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I mean, I guess in some conversations we were having with Brian as well about, you know, kind of brought us back to a conversation we had previously with, you know, J.R. Hildebrand mm-hmm. on, you know, on oval tracks with, you know, when they run the um, uh, the strakes and how when they have some negative rake, they're able yeah. to find more downforce. So even in the spec series where you have a spec arrow kit and, and everything, the ride yeah. height and, and, you know, the ways that teams find to run the cars to get the most lap time could change the wake profiles mm-hmm. and, and everything that you think that they should be doing. They could be going yeah. other directions and finding pace, right? So even, even in spec in series- and I think we're seeing a negative rate trend. We've kind of talked about that too. We're seeing this kind of shift towards a, yeah. from a more neutral raked car to a slightly neutral negative where you're just kind of a little bit negative on it to likely help yeah. with downforce generation and, and suck the diffuser down, get the ride height a little bit lower down where you have all that pressure generation. 
Drop it like it's hot, you know. I mean, get more, get more rear end downforce. Oh yeah. man, <laughs> that's something oh, I, I thought it. I would never say on okay. a podcast. So, looking ahead now to the race this coming weekend, yes. Singapore, the Singapore GPs. Singapore GP is, you know, it's a high downforce circuit, mm-hmm. so it's going to be kind of in that area of, you know, maybe something we might have seen in Zonvoort, you know, at the, at the Dutch Grand Prix. Yes. Now the track has been changed. Yes, I'm very intrigued by that. Are you queued up to what the changes are that have happened in Singapore? Or? It's in Sector 3, I know that. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to play it on F123 like you have yet. Yeah. I think a lot of people have been simming it up, iRacing it up, and f 123 ing it up. I haven't had a lot of chance to do that so why don't you walk us through what those changes are sure yeah so it is in sector three you're absolutely right Mm -hmm. so essentially they've taken out four corners so there used to be four low speed corners and they've taken those out and just replaced it with a straight is that a drs zone it's not a drs zone i thought Mm -hmm. it might be because if you look at i think it's four five and six or five six and seven which is sort of like directly opposite from Mm -hmm. this section right here which is turns 15 and 16 that is a drs zone on the opposite yeah. side so i thought okay maybe they might turn this into no dice hmm. it's not a drs zone so we still have three but they took out these four low speed corners there and i read that it's just because of some construction issues that they're kind of having in that area where they would normally put that track okay but so it's something that will come back in the future people are talking about you know it eliminates four low speed corners so how is this going to kind of affect the dynamic yeah. of the race is it going to make maybe passing a little bit better do you have any thoughts about maybe which teams might be stronger or weaker in singapore what we might expect i mean please reference our previous conversation i think that ferrari will like least struggle with a high medium high downforce that they're going to go for it's it's a street track you're going to want to pack as much downforce as you can onto your car for the most benefit through a street track especially one like this so i think that there could be some struggle there i don't know if they fully understand what made that car so peaky in zandvoort and where their struggles come from with that so i think that that's going to be one that i'm like oh i want to have hopes especially because charles claire is so good at singapore but much like the detroit lions i'm not going to get my hopes up hey but they won the other oh night. Oh my God, don't even so, get me started. Cool. <laughs> Another time, not on the pod. <laughs> I think, is it is it McLaren that's shown really well in the high speed cornering or am I completely crazy since they brought their upgrade? No, you're right. Okay. They were the best in Silverstone in the high speeds yeah. through cops. Okay. So part of me wants to say maybe McLaren could have a good week and I think we're still all trying to make what we can of these upgrades. But I think that knowing that they seem to do really well in high speed and, and they're high down for seems okay especially after Zambor mm-hmm. they could have a good weekend I think obviously we know Red Bull is gonna have a great weekend I don't know if there's anybody else that you think is either gonna struggle or really stand out based on the downforce selection we're expecting and maybe kind of the, the change to the track yeah I mean I think I would say the the easy one is you know Red Bull should obviously be strong there just mm-hmm. I think because they have the most balanced car not because yeah. you know that they're downforce monsters or anything but I mm-hmm. think they have a very well balanced car very efficient too I would say yeah absolutely Absolutely. Something that as you were talking that I just remembered is that, you know, Singapore being a street track and I believe the curbs are quite nasty in Singapore, which means that teams generally have to raise the ride height, mm-hmm. I think, for Singapore. The other track where teams have a tendency to raise the ride height as well as Spa because of the compression through Eau Rouge. Mm-hmm. And Ferrari had a good weekend in Spa with the raised ride height. Yeah. Maybe there could be some, some hope there for the Tifosi. Oh, that's a good point. You know, because one way to get into a more smoother part of your aero map is at higher ride heights as well. Yeah. You have a tendency to, to be a bit peakier when you're in the lower ride height and mm-hmm. you don't have as much like kind of aero platform stability. Yeah. And they were running pretty low in Zandvoort, I think, from what we saw. We were, you kind of qualitatively can look at photos and kind of frame of reference. It looked like yeah. they were running pretty low in Zandvoort. So maybe that this could be a clue to that higher ride height may kind of cancel out that peakiness that they're seeing and that that unpredictability yeah. with the high downforce setting you said that is actually a fantastic point they they had a pretty good weekend in spa i don't want to jump back too far did they have higher ride height at either bahrain or Jeddah as well earlier in the season am i insane one of them's got nasty curbs too um that's a good point uh, that's a good question i'm not sure i want to say it's Jeddah because it's a street course and i think it's got 
some pretty nasty curbs. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they actually were competitive in Jedi. But I mean, as I'm cycling through the calendar for Ferrari, you know, this there's a chance, you know, with the higher ride height and the, and the peakiness. So, okay, so they were P6 and P7 in Jeddah. Mercedes was P4, P5. Red Bull was one and two and Aston was three. So I don't know. It's that mixed bag. We can't really make a whole lot of sense out of what Ferrari's doing this year, unfortunately. Yeah, it's hard. I think it's the peakiness of the car. But there could be something to it. Yeah, there could be. Hey, let's see what happens by the time this podcast comes out and then the results are later and you're listening to this. You can tag us and be like, you nailed that one. Yes, please. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's a pretty educated assessment, though, to say that. So maybe we are on to something. Maybe we are... There could be something there. So I'm looking to see if we're going to see more of these high downforce rear wings with the cut end plates as well, right? Mm -hmm. Just to reduce a bit of induced drag. I think Mercedes will have a strong weekend because of the fact that they are doing really well in the low speed corners, um, especially after they rolled out that new front wing. Mm -hmm. I think it was in Silverstone. I'll be curious how the change to sector three will affect them though. Will they be one of the weaker cars in sector three now? Where like if you break down sector times, what that that would do. That's a very good point. Could be strong in sectors one and two. I think definitely in sector two, if I'm remembering the map right, sector three might might be a bit of a struggle potentially mm-hmm. but i think mercedes in general will have i think a strong weekend also because they have a tendency to be kind on the tires as well now the early reports are that it's gonna rain for three days mm. so yeah <laughs> this is the rainiest season ever oh my god that's yeah oh but it's it, gonna be interesting it could change Good. it could change hopefully you know hoping but, for uh, a mixed mixed bag weekend yeah i always love the great field leveler rain yeah it is it is it could make it very interesting but you know with with a street course like singapore it could also make it a bit of you know mad max thunderdome yeah it'd be very interesting so so there are minor upgrades that are rumored mm-hmm. for red bull I'm i think intrigued. these are just going to be track specific upgrades i don't expect anything major I don't either. McLaren's the interesting one, though. Yes. Because McLaren has said that they are going to bring some upgrades mm-hmm. and that the car that they have, I don't know if they have a model in the wind tunnel yet, but basically what they're saying is their, their 2024 car that they have or the design that they have is already bringing a lot of gains and that there are some parts that they're going to be testing this mm-hmm. year which will be looking forward to the 2024 car. So we might get an idea of maybe some of the things they're thinking. And apparently they're bringing some upgrades to Singapore. So this could change. I'm so intrigued and so excited to see what those are, especially because McLaren's out of their own wind tunnel. Finally, Their new in-house wind tunnel came online at walking this summer. So they are in their brand new state-of-the-art on-site wind tunnel. They are not using Toyota's wartime one anymore. (laughs) Nothing against wartime wind tunnels alpha Tauri is still in one that developed what fighter jets for the uk yeah, like yeah. nothing against wartime wind tunnels at all it's just have that resource in-house to them i think is going to be a really quick benefit because they don't have to fight for wind tunnel timer schedule especially when it's not theirs and it's right there in-house and it's short turnaround time too adds an agility to their operation that i think they didn't have in the past and Absolutely. so i'm really really curious what that could be that they're bringing yeah really good point on the wind tunnel there molly i mean you know just the pace at which you can go through different aerodynamic changes, adjustments, optimizations Mm -hmm. to ultimately land on, you know, the final best piece that you're going to put on your car. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was on another podcast previously that I was guest hosting and I, you know, had the chance to talk to Joost Capito from Williams and I asked him what's one of the biggest differences between, you know, the big teams and the small teams. Mm -hmm. And what he said was the pace with which with the bigger teams can kind of develop a car Mm -hmm. is almost like twice as fast as what the smaller teams can do because they have all these things they have the wind tunnel access you know they have the computing power and everything you know for cfds Mm -hmm. and and manufacturing as well you know to manufacture the parts and go through and do everything so yeah, they have that. You know, they would say they have that infrastructure compared to yeah. some of maybe the non-factory operations or or some of the smaller operations that are out there. Hundred percent. So I'm looking forward to Singapore. I am too. Unless it rains, let's hope we get some racing. Let's hope it's not like a spa. When was that? Twenty twenty was it? Was that twenty one? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was twenty one. I love that race for the memes because I'm a meme queen. That is my title around the cubed. <laughs> but man, I I wanted some racing. Yeah, so. yeah, we we definitely want some racing. Singapore is also the one where they run 
run the race really late at night, local time, right? It's so they keep everybody on UK time hmm. is so that everybody stays on in the time zone that they are used to. So it means like you're sleeping during the day up for your sessions at like 9 p.m. time there. It's like a normal session time on one of the European races. Yeah. And then all that goes out the window when they go to Suzuka. Singapore should be great. My hot take is I think Red Bull will, you know, be strong. I think Mercedes will be right there. And then let's see what comes from from the Aston, I would say, and and from the McLaren. I think at that point, then it's yeah. they're kind of fighting for maybe be behind Mercedes. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. And, and the threat of rain could throw all of that out the window and shake that up. So absolutely. So we are now into our tech bias segment, which, you know, we've been nerding out now for 45 minutes anyway. We get a chance now to spotlight nerd so molly yes you have a really interesting tech bias segment would you like to walk us through it absolutely i think it's perfect timing to talk about this right in line with the singapore grand prix coming up because this is something that actually affects cars at the singapore grand prix and it's everybody kind of has their theories and everybody has well, like why behind this but the singapore track is actually notorious for electrically interfering with f1 cars and there's some people who claim it's it's contributed DNFs, but there's actually electrical interference that happens naturally at this track that teams and cars have to be protected for. And in turn 13 and 14, there is a bridge that the track runs near that the concrete pylons actually have steel in them for the magnetic railway that winds up getting magnetized for the rail system that runs with the turn 13, 14 complex. I think it's under turn 13, 14, but the beams wind up magnetized because of it. Why does that cause issues? Why does it cause abnormal sensor readings for the teams? Goes into like, I, I want to call it EMC, which is electromagnetic compatibility, where like because of this magnetic field and the frequency and the H field that it puts off, it runs in the same frequencies and generates a field that actually messes with the electronics and the sensors on these F1 cars and can actually cause false reportings. It can kind of suck the life out of them. It can actually. And so in preparation for this weekend, and this is where like my tech bias is, is how do you prepare for Singapore? Teams will actually begin to put special shielding and extra shielding on their sensors, on their looms and harnesses so that that noise from that magnetic field can't disturb the fields that are already generated and the electrical currents that's already in the system. So they'll add extra wrapping to harnesses. There will be different things that they'll put around sensors, depending on the sensor type, basically to help shield from this field that gets generated as they come through turn 13, 14. And so it was kind of a mysterious thing for a while. And I mean, when I say shielding, some of this stuff is as simple as aluminum foil. They're not really using <laughs> aluminum foil. Yeah. Hopefully we get some good internal shots and we can see the shielding. On some of the cars with their engine covers and stuff off with power units mm -hmm. out, we can see some of that shielding. But I thought that that was just like a fun little nerdy fact about Singapore that there is special specific track prep that has to go into these cars that are coming. Yeah. So the, the freight set that would have gone with the car would have this in it, that it would have had to be prepared accordingly because we know the rotating sets of cargo and, and car parts would have to make sure that they have the shielding in the car or in this cargo set ready to go for, for car prep and, and set up for the weekend. That's really interesting. And uh, um, my mind is going to, if we're seeing an FP1 cars running with what looks like arrow rakes around them, oh, that's not an arrow rake. That's actually a Faraday cage. Yeah. To prevent, <laughs> to prevent, <laughs> wouldn't that be funny? For anybody who's like, if you want to know a good real life example, EMC or stuff like this, when you have a key fob, right? Yeah. The fact that my key fob honks only my car when I click it to find it, that's EMC. That's that frequency that gets put out that allows my car to honk. And if it's disturbed, um, if it runs in a band that's maybe similar to someone else's, someone else's car would, would honk at me. Same thing with like a garage door opener. You open your garage door, it opens only yours. And so it's that compatibility of frequency doesn't open everybody else's. It's that one thing and there's some, there was a disturbance. I could open everybody else's or I could honk everybody else's car as I'm looking for my own. That's a great tech buy segment. That translates to a lot of things, you know, not yes. just Formula One racing in Singapore. Mm -hmm. If you think about all the shielding yes. that are in airplanes, then mm -hmm. you'll really appreciate why they should shield things. What do you have for us in your tech bias segment? Okay, so for my tech bias segment, what I wanted to do was talk about the differences between the AMR22 and the AMR23. All right. So 
As you can see on the screen here, you've got the original AMR-22, not the, the one that they rolled out like midway. Yeah, this is the OG, right? The spaceship. So I think the first thing that I'm going to try to draw on here while we're doing this, the first thing that shows up is just how big the undercut is mm -hmm. on the original AMR-22. Now we all know, you know, Red Bull, the RB19, the RB18 have a really strong undercut. A lot of other teams have been working the undercut. The undercut is good, right? Mm -hmm. We like the undercut. Yes. Cut gives you basically nice clean air mm -hmm. to the rear part of the car, which you can run over the top of the diffuser. You can drive the diffuser harder, things like that. So why in the world did the AMR-22 not work? You know, this is a 22 up here, the top one. This is a 23 down here on the bottom. Mm -hmm. So why did the AMR-22 not work? You would think it would because you see the massive amount of space that you can send air to the back through this big undercut. Yeah. And if you compare that to the AMR-23, you'll see that the forward part of the AMR-23 actually has a down sloping undercut. Mm -hmm. So that forward undercut is not straight back or as straight back as it is in the AMR-22. It's actually kind of flat where you have a really thin intake and then it sort of down slopes before it then becomes flat again for the side part of the undercut mm -hmm. for the mid. We call it the mid undercut, the forward undercut and the mid undercut. So what was the biggest difference? Well, the first thing I believe that was wrong with the AMR-22 is the fact that they were not able to generate much forward floor pressurization. Mm -hmm. So if you compare to the AMR-23, you'll see that right underneath the intake where it starts to slope down, you actually generate some static pressure in the front part. Mm -hmm. And this static pressure right here serves a couple of purposes. The first thing that it does is as the air starts to come from the front wing, you know, on the inside of the tire and is moving over the top of the floor, it sees this big pressure zone and you can actually move air with pressure like you can move air with solid objects. And so this pressure zone is actually causing the air to kind of move out to the side. Well, this is really good for the front tire wake to keep the front tire wake management out sideways. So that's the first thing that you didn't have in the air. 23 mm -hmm. is you didn't have that forward pressurization because it never really sloped down it just kind of slopes straight back and yeah. you didn't generate as much of sort of a static pressure zone on the front part of the side pod here to help manage that front tire weight. The other thing that it does is the air that's moving over the top of the floor, it sees this pressure zone and where it wants to go is away from it. So it wants to go then out here Air is always going to take the easy path out. Exactly. So it wants to go out here to the floor edge. Path of least resistance. Exactly. The forward floor edge. So then as it's following that path of least resistance, this forward floor edge is also where you have the outwashing tunnels. Mm -hmm. So as you're moving air over that section right there, it helps you to drive the outwash from the forward tunnels, which helps you to power up your floor because you can get a stronger vortex into your floor. So that's the other thing that's not doing. But I think the biggest thing that the AMR-22 was not doing compared to the AMR-23, and this is something that I think applies for a lot of cars on the grid who now have this forward undercut, is they're able to pressurize the top part of the the floor like you see here mm -hmm. to help generate a little bit more forward COP. So remember we were talking about that forward COP. Yes. So if you have higher pressure on top of the floor and naturally you have some lower pressure underneath the floor. Remember we said the forward part of the floor is generating suction and the rear part of the floor as well. Mm -hmm. naturally putting more pressure on top of the floor helps with that as well. So you can generate more load forward. Yes. So I think there's those three components that really made the AMR-22 not a great car no. that makes the AMR-23 now a better car yes. because it has this forward undercut and it has a bit more of this kind of front tire wake management, has a bit more forward floor pressurization. Mm -hmm. But it's also, as you create that forward floor pressurization, you also are able to sweep cleaner air and protect that air that's going through the undercut versus in this case with the AMR-22, if you don't have that forward floor pressurization, you're not able to push that front tire wake out, mm -hmm. you can actually ingest all that trash yeah. into the undercut and now it's no longer clear air going to the back. I was just saying we talked a lot about like blowing up vortices. That's what that would contribute to in that yeah. when you ingest all of that garbage, it's going to be garbage in, garbage out, and you're going to destroy all of that nice, really good vortex you've generated and you're, you're trying to use. Exactly. You know, I, I just 
I wanted to just kind of explain that and show that to people because yeah. I think that we naturally always think of undercuts being good yes. and undercuts are good, yes. but it has to be managed in a way that makes it good. Yes, And that's something that I think Red Bull was very good at early on mm -hmm. and maybe others kind of struggled with. If you remember the McLaren, the first McLaren that they had, yeah. the MCL 36, right? It had a very bluff front part of the side mm -hmm. pod. So I think they were generating a whole lot of forward floor pressurization, but yeah. I think it was coming at the detriment of drag Yes, because that static pressure is drag right there. Yes. So it's contributing to your drag. So you need a balance. Yep. You need a balance of getting a little bit of drag, but getting yes. a lot more load yes. out of that drag. So that's the efficiency we talk about. Drag to downforce ratio. Exactly. The aero efficiency. Yes. So that's my tech bias segment there. And I will stop sharing now. Showing some some love for the AMR 23 and all of the, the development that they've done to, to turn that into a pretty cool car. Absolutely. That is a great car. Uh, we're, I think we, I think we share it. We were big fans of what Aston Martin is doing. Absolutely. Aren't they getting their own wind tunnel soon too? I thought they were working on a wind tunnel. They are. Yeah. When I was at the British Grand Prix, I saw it with my eyes. They were cool. building that wind tunnel out there and it's going to be very impressive. So uh, I believe they use the Mercedes. Mercedes wind tunnel they right do. now. I, I can confirm that. They use the Mercedes tunnel. And so once they get their own wind tunnel, then, you know, they can do whatever they want in there. Dan Fallows is already cooking. He's cooking. I cannot wait to see what more he cooks with a wind tunnel on site. That team is headed in the right yes, direction. And ever since they took a little bit of detour after the Canada upgrades, it looked like the changes that they've made since the Dutch Grand Prix have been helpful. Now, obviously, I think Monza was never going to be their strong suit because they're just not top speed monsters. Monza is such a unique track. It's such a one-off too. Yeah. I love Monza, but it's a terrible data point from like a tech standpoint, <laughs> in my opinion. I don't think it's it's a great benchmark no. for much outside of like low downforce or just Monza spec period. That's right. What, what do engineers talk about? They say you don't design your car for Monaco. And I would say you probably don't design your car for Monza either. So it's it's the two ends you don't yeah. design for. Yeah, those are kind of your, your special one-offs where, where you're going to do something for those, obviously, but that's not the entire kind of strategy strategy of your, your car and you don't design everything for that. That's right. So we've talked through oh, the wow. Italian GP. We've talked through Singapore. We've done our tech bias segments. Any last thoughts or, or things you want to talk about before we end the podcast episode? I, I think from my side, you know, I'm just in closing thoughts and things. I would say I'm really looking forward to Singapore. I hope I hope we don't get a wet race. I hope we get a dry race and we're able to see really what the track has to mm -hmm. offer. But I am keen to see maybe a bit closer racing because this will be in Red Bull themselves have said this is going to be kind of one of our weakest tracks. Yeah. So I'm keen to see if we can get a good battle between Red Bull and Mercedes and maybe mm -hmm. somebody else creeping up there if it's like yeah. McLaren or if it's uh, Aston Martin. What about you? I'm really excited for Singapore. I think there's a lot of factors that always kind of go into this race in this weekend and it always kind of is. I don't want to say like a wild card but it always is i think one of the more exciting races of the year street tracks are always fun in my opinion they're scary but they're fun yeah. so i'm looking forward to there's a lot with this race between the upgrades the track changes like you said i kind of hope that it does stay a little bit drier or we do get a dry session so that we can kind of get to see the new track with some decently representative lap times and how the teams will handle that the cars will handle that so i'm looking forward to the weekend i think that there is going to be a lot of cool stuff coming out of singapore and then right into suzuka i think we're in for a couple of really good race weekends and there's a lot of good stuff coming up absolutely well molly i think i speak for both of us when i say that we're having a great time with uh, breaking Always. bias pod episode three is another banger. Third time's a charm. Absolutely. If you are not subscribed to our YouTube channel where you can find these videos, make sure and subscribe there. You know, follow along on Spotify and iTunes and, and all that kind of stuff. Yes, we are on Spotify, Apple, Amazon. We have an RSS feed that has everything through Buzzsprout. The link is in our show notes and in our Twitter bio where you can find us and our RSS feed, which will have where all of the places you can find us 
bias at, that is a great spot to see where you can find Breaking Bias Bod. And if we are not anywhere that you consume your podcasts, let us know and we will get Breaking Bias to that platform. Most definitely. So thank you everybody for listening. We will be having some guests hopefully coming up in the future, but it's been a blast doing episode three here. Thank you so much, Molly. Really appreciate all that you do for this podcast and you too. Uh, having a blast co-hosting this thing yes. with you. So best co-host ever. Thanks everybody for listening and we will catch you in episode four. Texas and Scott Dixon doing something crazy. Scott Dixon doing Dixie things. Yes, Dixie doing Dixie things.